Well, good morning again. I'm glad that we can spend these moments uh, worshiping and, and learning with one another. The, uh, this morning we're in a uh, message series, a sermon series that we're calling Made New. It's a study in the book of Ephesians, the passage that we said together in unison, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, uh, is a uh, memory passage we're seeking to gather in our minds as we uh, reshape our thinking and we transform our lives by what we concentrate and think about. Uh, that's a, a key passage in this whole book. And so uh, if you have one of the journals that we've provided for you, uh, you'll notice that in there each week there's a little section for you to practice memorizing Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, so you can pick that up and make sure that you are, are studying alongside us. If you don't have one of those journals, maybe you forgot one, uh, or maybe you just never got one last week, you know, know, uh, we're not going to shame you about it or, or anything else, and you're not going to offend me at all. If you want to jump up in the middle here and grab one of those and, and grab a pen in the back of the room, we can uh, learn together uh, from the book of Ephesians. One more thing before I jump into the passage we're going to look at this morning and what we can learn from it. Uh, one of the things and one of the values that we have is to, uh, to reshape our thinking, to think about important things for what we dwell upon, what our minds think about, gives shape to our whole life. And so part of the, what, it, what it means to grow in Christ-likeness is to transform our minds to think about important and holy and good things. So in that realm or in that de desire, uh, uh, from time to time, I host a book club to go through a book together, to learn together, to shape our minds around uh, godly things. And this February, I'm going to start a new book club for anybody that wants to be a part of it. It's, we're going to go through a book, uh, this book in particular. Well, you can buy your own book, but we're going to go through this titled book. Uh, it's by N.T. Wright. It's called Evil and the Justice of God. It's a fantastic uh, book. It'll give us some good things to be thinking about. It'll be a Zoom book club. It'll be kind of read a chapter. We'll gather on Zoom and we'll talk about it, discuss it, and we'll continue the, the book as it goes from there. So if you're interested, we'll be starting in February. Uh, if you're interested and you want to be a part of it, you can use that communication card in your worship folder and you can just, uh, or send me an email and let me know uh, that you want to be a part of it. I'll put you on the list. Uh, there's a couple of people already on the list, so if you're already going, I'm on the list, how come I I'll send it out this week so you can know that I got you on the list and we'll be beginning the, the process of that next book club in February. So we'll go from there. If you uh, have your Bible with you or an app on your phone, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be studying. So you want to kind of open and find your way there. If you're newer to the Bible and not sure where that is, it's in the Newer Testament, which means it's in the back half of the Bible. So you kind of get to the middle. You'll find, uh, well, Psalms probably in the very middle. Keep going to the right. You'll get Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's the Gospels. Fin find your way to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Today we'll kind of sink in there and see what Paul may teach us uh, about uh, life in God's kingdom. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian churches that are gathered in uh, Asia Minor, what is now known as Asia Minor, Turkey, in that region. And so uh, this is a letter that he wrote to them and we can see what God would teach us as it, will, as it, uh, as it pertains to our life. Last week, if you were here, we looked at this one phrase that the Apostle Paul writes all over his writings, but in particular in the book of Ephesians, we looked at the phrase, in Christ. 
that we are both covered by his righteousness and his righteousness, that in him we are covered by his righteousness, but we're also empowered by the Spirit of Christ. When we're in Christ, that we're not only covered, but we're empowered for a holy life uh, as we continue to follow Christ. But this morning, as we look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23, what I want us to look at is both Paul's encouraging the church, so he commends the church for a few things, and then he's praying for the church. And so we're going to look at both his commendation and the prayer that Paul gives for uh, the, the church there and what that might teach us about our life. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to, to 23. If you have your Bible with you, you can look and read along with me or you can follow along on the screens uh, behind me or on the sides and you can follow along there. So Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you his spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, let me pray for us and and maybe God would teach us this morning through his word together. God, I pray uh, that you would lead us as we seek to understand you. That uh, we seek to understand uh, what it is that we may be known for and how it is that we may grow in Paul's prayer for us, for your church to grow maturity, to know you, and to walk accordingly. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said already, this morning what I want to do is take a look at these two sections of Paul's prayer, what he encourages, what he's commending the church for, he's thanking the church for, and congratulating them for on one side, and then his prayer for them on the other, for them to continue to grow. And perhaps one or maybe both of these areas of his writing here may encourage you and maybe something that you want to take with you as you grow and as you pursue life with Jesus. The first thing I want us to look at is the way he commends the church. He's thankful for the church. He's encouraging the church. And what you see his commending the church for is their faith that is producing love. He commends them. He congratulates. He's thankful for the church that is a, having a faith in Jesus that results in love for all of God's people. Look again in verse 15. For he says, "In Ever since I heard about your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayer, he says. Ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and praying for you, remembering you in my prayer, he says. For one of the marks of someone who's learning to live by faith in Jesus is the way in which they are loving other people. 
Authentic love or authentic faith in Jesus, in other words, manifests itself in authentic love for all of God's people, all of God's people. Faith in Jesus is way more than just faith in an action that he did one time, but it's trusting in all of who he is, all of who he is. It's trusting in his ways. It's trusting in his priorities. It's learning to see other people the way he sees them, believing that his ways and his way of living actually lead to the abundant eternal life that you and I have been created for. That his life is the eternal life that we have been made for. So we're trusting him, meaning we are following after his way. We're learning to trust him. For when we trust Jesus and we have faith in Jesus, we're learning to see things the way Jesus sees things, then he begins to empower us to value the things that he values, to love what he loves, and namely all of God's people. So Paul commends or congratulates and is thankful for the church for a faith that is a real faith that is manifested in love for all of God's people. Faith is growing and authentic, in other words, when it changes our perspective and our values, our priorities. It would be impossible to be a secret Christian, in other words, because it would become clear to everybody who we are. It would be impossible, in other words, for you to really have authentic, growing faith and someone to be around you for six to eight to nine to ten months or a year or two years and be surprised to come to find out that you're a follower of Jesus. It would be impossible because genuine, authentic, growing faith would make itself manifested in the way in which we have priorities and love and perspective that Jesus has. People would not be surprised, in other words, to find out that you're a follower of Jesus. Not because you're annoying about it. Not because you always wear Jesus t-shirts or you slap a fish sticker on the back of your car as you cut somebody off in traffic, or because you post Bible verses on your social media page, not because of any of that, but it would be clear to people around you because of the way you are living is different, because of the words that come out of your mouth is different, because of the way in which you handle your emotions would be different, the way in which you handle your finances would be different, the way in which you work towards unity and peace and forgiveness and gentleness and kindness would be different. It would be impossible for someone to see growing authentic faith in us that does not produce love for all of God's people. Paul says, I have heard of your faith. And of your love for all of God's people. I've heard of a faith that you have that is producing love. There's a practical difference in their life. For Paul is pointing out a truth that we need to hold on to. That authentic faith produces actual change. Because while faith is private or personal, it's a, it's a personal decision that we have to make. No one can make the decision to follow Jesus for you. It's a, it's a personal decision that you have to des- decide and declare to walk in obedience to his ways. But while it's personal, it's not private. There's no secret Christians where I'm just in my own little room and it's just between me and Jesus. For authentic faith will always manifest itself in an authentic love for all of God's people. Paul says, I've heard of your faith. 
and of your love for all of God's people. Because I have heard of this, I have not stopped giving thanks to our God and remembering you in my prayers. While it is a personal decision to trust Jesus, it has very public ramifications for how I live with others. I hope that makes sense. And so what Paul is commending them for is a faith that is producing a love for others because their faith is, and that kind of life, that love for others has caused quite the stir in their region. Because in their region at that particular time, it was easy to love those who were like you and those who were in the inner circle, those that had the same social class, those that had the same kind of socioeconomic standing in the world around them. But their love was different. Their love was loving all people, regardless of social class, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their education level. People from all walks of life were welcomed into this family, for they knew that in Christ they were all made new, and they were a new family restored in Christ. And they were known for this kind of love for one another. And it made a difference. And Paul had heard of their reputation. That's awesome, by the way. Don't worry about that. That's great. Paul had heard about their reputation. News had gotten out about this small group of followers of Jesus that were learning to live their life in a different way. And that's how reputations happen, isn't it? For good or for bad, people have an experience of you They have an impression of you, and then when they leave, they share that impression with other people. Or in the good side or in the bad side, they begin to share things. So what Paul is saying, what they're commended for, is not just what they're saying about themselves. It's not that the Ephesians are going, look how great we are. Look how great we're loving people. Look at our reputation. Look at what we can do. But their reputation, what they're doing, is being heard all throughout the world at that point. Paul is hearing from a distance what they are known for. It's not what they're tooting their own horn, but this is what other people are saying about them. And that causes me to wonder a few things about us, about me, about you, and about us. I wonder what the reputation is at your work, for instance. When you're not there, how are people impressed by you and sharing what their impressions are? How are they impressed by me? How are they impressed by us as a church? What are we known for? Not what we say we're known, not what we would like people to say we're about, but what are we really known for? Would, would people that you work for or work with, would they be surprised to find out that you're a follower of Jesus. I wonder about that this week. I wonder what kind of reputation our church would have in the community at large, in the region here. Not just what we say, but what others are saying. Do we have the reputation of being a closed-off, exclusive club of a group? Just exclusive, and it's really difficult to connect, a place for those that really already know Jesus, but for those that have curious and are skeptical of Jesus, well, there's no room for them. Do we have that kind of reputation in our region? I I wonder about that this week. I wonder about that about me. I wonder about that for you. 
And I wonder about that for our church. See, if we're going to have a reputation, not just what we say, but a reputation of a people who have a growing faith that is producing love for all of God's people, we're going to have to do the work of beginning to see all of God's people with God's eyes. All of God's people with his eyes. So maybe that's an application for you this morning. Maybe that's the nugget that you want to hold on to. What's the reputation of me, of our family, of our church? What do we want? What are we known for? And where do we need to make shifts and changes to be known for a faith that is producing love for all of God's people? For all of God's people. While I was working on this, many of you, well, you all know if you're here in person, you see the renovation that's happening around here. And if you haven't seen our office space, it's in shambles right now. I don't have a place to call home right now in my office, so I'm a nomad. I'm going around from place to place trying to find a small place to go. And I was in my car a bunch this week uh, as I was putting the final thoughts on this and I heard a song on the radio that came on. It's an old song, 15 20 years ago, this guy, Brandon Heath, wrote a song called Give Me Your Eyes. And the gist of the song is that it is possible for us to go right through our day and not see people with the eyes of Jesus, that we miss the image of God and the people all around us. And so some of the lyrics, I won't sing it for you, I'll save you that, but some of the lyrics say, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I've been missing. And give me your love for humanity. So a good place for us to begin. If we're going to see this faith that's producing love for all of God's people, a good place for us to begin is before you go to work this week. When you wake up in the morning before you go into the office or wherever you're going for the day or before you go into that meeting or before you have that conversation with the difficult person that you know is going to not go well, right? And you just simply pray that prayer. Give me your eyes that I could see what I've been missing. Give me your love for this person. For this person. May I have a faith that is producing love for all of God's people. And that might just change your week. That might just change everything about it. But Paul goes on. There's a second part of the passage because not only commends them for this faith, but he goes on to pray for a deepening life with God. So listen to verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. See, Paul's prayer is a few things, but first and foremost, his prayer is that we would know God better. We would know him better. And the kind of knowledge that Paul's talking about is not just intellectual knowledge about, but it's a knowledge that connotates a relationship. In other words, he's saying, I keep asking the God of our glorious Father that, that he would deepen your knowledge, that he would deepen your relationship with him. God pray, or Paul prays that God would give the people and for us uh, wisdom and revelation, this spirit of a new sight, a new ability to see, so that we would see the goodness of God in our life and that goodness of God, that knowledge would deepen our life or deepen our relationship with God to enable us to see the goodness and the mercy and the kindness and the forgiveness of God that he has lavished on us. 
And that we, when we see the goodness of God, well, that would bolster confidence in God. So faith grows when we take a step of faith and God meets us there. And then we can take another step. We have deeper confidence and our relationship with God grows when we take a step of faith and he sees, and he sees us there and he meets us there. So Paul is praying not just that we would know about God, but that we would experience the goodness of God and, we would, and that would encourage us to take greater steps of faith. And if you think about it, all relationships are that way. All relationships are not just knowledge about someone, it's knowledge with someone. It's having a relationship with them. For relationships to move from just knowledge about to knowledge with someone, well, you have to spend unhurried time with them. You share your high points and your low points. You share your hearts and your fears and your dreams and your desires. You learn to celebrate with them. You learn to cry with them. You learn to laugh with them. And you learn to mourn with them. In other words, relationships that have moved from knowledge about somebody to knowledge of somebody is when you learn to do life slowly and unhurried with each other. Well, there's just part of a relationship that's growing in. And so the prayer that Paul has for us and for the Ephesians is that we would move from a theological, philosophical understanding about God and to have a relationship with God, to spend unhurried time and to share our hearts with God and to deepen our confidence that He is good in every aspect of our life, that our hearts and our minds would be opened up to see all of God's goodness and that we would deepen our relationship, not just knowledge about God. So it causes me to wonder again, how would I describe my life with God? Have I spent most of my Christian life learning a knowledge about God, but I haven't spent unhurried time with God? Do I have more of a knowledge about God, or do I have a relationship with God? And that caused me to wonder this week. That caused me to wonder about you. That caused me to wonder about our church. Do we emphasize and think about the philosophical, theological knowledge about, or do we deepen a relationship, spend unhurried time, share our highs and our lows with God, and deepen a friendship, a relationship with Him? Paul's prayer is that we would have a deepening relationship with God, not just knowledge about God, but a deepening relationship. And he goes on that we would know the hope to which He has called us. That is praying that we would know, not only have a deep relationship, but he, we would know the hope to which he is calling us. That's in verse 18, if you're taking notes. Many in the early church and the Ephesians were, none, were, were just like it. No, they didn't have any other issues. They, they faced opposition and persecution. They faced all, all sorts of fear and distraction that was coming along their way. The immediate surroundings around them were not easy to be a follower of Jesus. So it would have been very easy for them to have fear and anxiety to run rampant in their life. And yet Paul is calling them to remember the hope to which God has called us. The hope of, of God's good eternal life that he has planned for us, that he has purposed for us. That while it may be difficult right now, don't let go of the hope, this unquenchable hope that he has given us. 
In Jeremiah chapter 29 is a familiar passage to many people who've been around the church, but the prophet Jeremiah is speaking words over a people who were exiled, who were facing opposition and difficulty in their circumstances. And the voice of the word, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, to these people who are facing opposition and difficult surroundings, and he reminds them of this hope. So don't get bottled down in, in despair and, and discouragement and depression and everything else and anxiety and fear, but to rise up in this hope that we can hold on to. And he writes this in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. For in Christ, there's a glorious inheritance for those who live by faith. There's an inheritance to be empowered and to equip us to live godly, holy lives. There's an unquenchable hope that is ours, this eternal life that is available because of Christ. And eternal life, by the way, does not only mean the eternal quantity of life, meaning forever, but it means a, an eternal quality of life right now that will last. The eternal abundance and the eternal quality of the fulfillment. And that only comes from knowing our Creator. That only comes from knowing the kind of life that we've been made for, created for, redeemed for. This hope is ours. This hope of an eternal quantity but a hope of an eternal quality of life. So Paul prays that we would know, not just know about, but have a relationship with God and that we would hold on to this hope of an eternal quality of life that is ours, both now and lasting the rest of eternity. And he's hoping that that would encourage us. But it also comes through the incomparability great power of God. The incomparable great powers, how Paul describes it, of God. He says it's the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And that same power is available to each and every one to meet our needs, to lead us to this eternal quality of life, both now and to the rest of eternity. The transformation project of our life, of our hearts, of our souls, of our hearts to transform into the image of God is made possible not because of my power, but because of the incomparable great power of God who raised Christ from the dead is at work in us to bring to fruition this great hope that he has for us, this eternal life that is based on a relationship with God himself. So Paul says, I pray that you would deepen your life with God, that you would hold on to this hope, this unquenchable hope, and it's all fueled by the incomparably great power of God. And notice how Paul describes that, right? It's a kind of power that's far above all rule and authority of this world, far above any power and dominion, not only in this present age, but even in the age to come. For he says there is no power, no name, no principality that is anywhere near the power of God. It is incomparably great, he says. And as he would say in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? If this incomparable power is for you, to lead you to the eternal quality of life and give you an unquenchable hope and deepen your relationship with you, then what could stand against you?
So how does that grow? How does Paul ask us to have a deeper life with God? That kind of confidence that walks even in difficult situations, but walks confident in his trust or in his hope and trusting in his power at work in our lives. How does that come about? How do we deepen that relationship? And for that, I just want to leave you with one word. Authenticity. It happens through authenticity. Relationships on a human level and relationship between us and God deepen when we stop pretending and we start getting real. We stop pretending we got it all figured out and worked out and we can manage it on our own power and we start being real, start being authentic. And we start asking for the God of the universe to meet us in our very needs, to meet us in our very real situation, to bring hope where it seems hopeless, to bring forgiveness where there seems bitterness, to bring healing where there seems to be brokenness. And why do we bring all that authentically to the throne of God? Why? Because he's got incomparably great power to work all things for his good purposes in this world. And we deepen our faith when we learn to bring our authentic self before him. And we ask for his power to show up in places that only he can show up. To transform what only he can transform. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't pass it over. We don't kind of have an unspoken prayer request. But we speak it vulnerably and authentically. Paul prays for the church. For have a deepening relationship with God. That would grow in their life with God. And so this morning, I want to pray that prayer. For you. I want to pray Paul's prayer for the church for you. And I'm going to ask you to be as authentic as you possibly can. Maybe it's in the journal, maybe it's just in your own mind, maybe it's something, but there's there's some thing or some issue, some relationship, some conflict, something that you're going to be experiencing this coming week. Some meeting that you have some conversation that you have, something that you're going to have this coming week. And I'm going to ask you, with as much authenticity as you can, to hold that in front for God to move in your situation. And I'm just simply going to pray Paul's prayer over your situation. And I'm going to ask that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and His incomparable power will show up in your life this week as we learn to be vulnerable and authentic with Him and He meets us where we are and it deepens not our knowledge about God, but our knowledge of God. Not just that we know that He forgives, but we receive His forgiveness. Not only that He can comfort, but we experience that comfort. Not only that He is the one who stands above it all, but we see His power and we experience it. And I'm going to pray that prayer over you. Over you this week. And I don't know what those those things are, those meetings, those conversations that you've got to have, but in all that you can, as best you can, bring the authentic you in this situation, and let's ask for God to show up. And maybe, 
maybe he just will change our week. And maybe that week might change our month. And maybe just might change our life as it goes. So bring that before you. Bow your heads. Close your eyes if you wouldn't mind. And we're just going to sit for just a few seconds here. And then I'm just simply going to pray Paul's prayer that he has here in Ephesians chapter 1 over your situation that you've got. I am asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious of his riches and the glorious inheritance in his holy people. And that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. I am asking that in your situation, in your relationship, in your conversation this week, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him better. That you would know the hope to which he has called you. And that you would experience the incomparably great power of God for you. Amen.